father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast where we waste time of fictional wikis. I am Ryan. And I am Joanna. And this is a very special week because neither of us know what the other's topic is. It's a mystery week. Yeah, it's a mystery week. But you know what's not a mystery anymore? What's that? Uh, who the showrunners are going to be for Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. J.J. Abrams. It is not going to be. It is somebody with an acronym name, though. So these people I'm not actually that familiar with. One is called J.D. Payne, and the other is called Patrick McKay. You don't know J.D. Payne? I don't. Actually, when my friend first sent me this article, I got J.D. Payne mixed up with Jody Picoult. <laughs> That'd be a weird pick. <laughs> like, I think I got, I think first I got Jody Picoult mixed up with J.D. Robb, and then I got J.D. Robb mixed up with J.D. Payne. So I was like, why is Jody Picoult one of the showrunners? But no, it's, um, so both of these people worked on the original script for Star Trek Beyond, which is a movie that didn't do well at the box office, but I actually really liked. I thought it was cool. Yeah. And then they also worked on Godzilla vs. Kong, which hasn't come out yet. So yeah, I think they're relative newcomers. There's a lot, gonna be a lot of spaceships and giant monsters in this Lord of the Rings series. There absolutely is. That's yeah. a really odd choice, but okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, it, it's bold. It's I'm, bold. I mean, it's I bold guess and spicy. because <laughs> it's a bold party choice. Yeah. Because they have both worked on like sci-fi and sort of fantastical properties before. Maybe that's why they were picked. I don't know, but apparently they had to like pitch their vision for it, and Amazon liked theirs the best. So we'll have to see how that turns out. If anybody knows more about those two writers and wants to chime in, please feel free. Do you have any Star Wars news? Nothing really. There's just a couple articles that came out this week about how Disney's trying to get back the the broadcast rights to Star Wars, as in like who can show it on TV. And oh, they didn't have those before. No, Turner Turner Networks has it right now, and they <gasps> oh. refuse to give it up because it's one of the few things that Disney doesn't own. So the, they own like everything. So there's like this. They cannot show it on Disney Channel or ABC or anything like that. Only on Turner Broadcasting Network. Something about that is gratifying. I kind of like it. You yeah. know, Disney is becoming this massive conglomerate more and more by the day. Who did they just buy? 20th Century Fox. Yes, that's insane. How is this allowed to happen? How does this not violate? antitrust and laws i don't know so that's it yeah well good i hope they keep it up i hope they anybody anything that's like kind of annoying disney but not like yeah. super annoying them to the point where it's obstructing the things that they do that i like mm-hmm. <laughs> but if it's just slightly annoying them that's good yeah hey ryan what sex ah uh. Now that I've got your attention, I wish you. I want to talk about sex. I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> so, my topic for today this is, is a, marriage and family. Hold on, though. Is this yes. going to be PG thirteen rated? I would still say it's PG, actually. Okay. Nothing because because as you will find out, Tolkien is like insanely, insanely Catholic on this topic in particular. Okay. So I would say that nothing goes beyond PG. But it so, is it is a marriage and family and by extension sex themed. So there's going to be podcast. no there's going to be not even a single f word. No f words. No decapitations on screen. No decapitations. No headshots. Would you say there's comic mischief? 
I would definitely say there's comic mischief and some thematic elements. Ooh, thematic, okay. Yeah, so get ready. All right, so any discussion of this topic should start with Tolkien's personal views on sex. Because, as mentioned, he was extremely Catholic and, as you would imagine, pretty stuffy about sex Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Uh, In fact, we know this for a fact because in 1941, Tolkien wrote a letter to his second son, Michael, who was then about 21 years old, advising him on many things, sexuality among them. Now, if my dad wrote me a letter about sex, I would literally throw myself in front of a train. But his impulse seems to come from a good place. Like, he genuinely wanted to help his son deal with what he views as a complex and treacherous area of life. Well, plus he put a bunch of elves in the letter, and he made it a letter from from Father Christmas. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Father Christmas just writes them a letter. They're adults, by the way. Yeah, so he's yeah, writing, yeah. like, Tolkien's adult son's a letter about, like, not having sex before marriage. Yeah, yeah that's what it was. <laughs> Polar Bear says, <laughs> sex before marriage is not in God's plan. <laughs> But this is what Tolkien, some of what Tolkien's letter said. This is a fallen world. The dislocation of sex instinct is one of the chief symptoms of the fall. The world has been going to the bad all down the ages. The devil is endlessly ingenious, and sex is his favorite subject. He is as good every bit at catching you through generous, romantic, or tender motives as through baser or more animal ones. So, in other words, even if you want to sleep with someone because you love them so much, that's still the devil's work. Hey, Dad. Uh, Tolkien also says that the sexual fantasies of the 20th century were demonic lies intended to ensnare human beings, that sex is a trap, that romantic love is not sufficient justification for sex, etc. And he also believed that young men and women couldn't be just friends because inevitably they'd begin to be bothered by sexual feelings. He's like a like a like a Jordan Peterson type. I wouldn't. I, I think that's a little harsh. I wouldn't compare my worst enemy to Jordan Peterson. Um, he did think that once men and women got older and their libidos cooled down, then they could be friends. And as we'll see later on in this episode, he himself had platonic female friends. Okay. So, you know, but yeah, he was obviously, like, extremely anti-sex, much to the level of the church we grew up in, sure. I would say. Like, none of this is all that outlandish to yeah. me. In Scientology, where you both grew up? It's like, yeah. Heaven's Gate, You weren't allowed to have sex until you hit, like, OT3 yeah. in Scientology. That's the secret they don't want you to know. So, to We're this not, day, I've never done it. We're actually not Scientologists. I was joking. Shh. Don't tell them that. Scientology is paying us a lot of money to pretend okay. to be Scientologists on this podcast. Anyway, I want you to keep all this in mind as we start talking about romantic and sexual relationships in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Because things often get old school Catholic to the point of being, like, campy. Like, okay. it's almost campy how Catholic this is. So, a lot of this first bit, which is about elves, comes from a Tolkien blog called Anserig. And this is a rather famous famous in Tolkien circles, a uh, rather famous 2002 essay called What Tolkien Officially Said About Elf Sex, which is like kind of a funny, like cheeky name, but yeah. actually the scholarship in this is pretty good okay. as far as I've been able to determine. What a what a nasty little pervert to do their research on this. I'm... What yeah. a little, filthy little minx to do an article Ryan on is this. obliquely referring to, earlier in the week I was complaining to him um, that I had been going through some 2001 era... Tolkien message boards and how prudish everyone is and basically somebody jumped on there and asked do you think that these two characters are in a gay relationship in Tolkien and everybody like jumped down their throat for being a disgusting pervert yeah um yeah no um that was stupid. But anyway, this if, if that was perverted, then this person is extra perverted. So the first thing you need to know is that it is literally impossible for elves to have sex outside of marriage. 
How? Well, as detailed above, Tolkien did recognize that sometimes you meet someone you kind of fancy, and nature tends to take its course. Mm -hmm. Um, However, if you are an elf, you better make damn sure that that person is the only one you ever want to have sex with again, because once you get it on, you're married. Whoa, there's no divorce in Elfland? I don't, not that, no, not that was mentioned, no. You only ever have one spouse in a lifetime. Wow, he is super Catholic. Yeah, so, so, quote, it was the act of bodily union that achieved marriage. It was at all times lawful for any of the Eldar, being both unwed, to marry thus of free consent one to the other without ceremony or witness. So you don't need to have, like, a fancy ceremony. You basically agree to have sex and then you're married. Huh. As soon as you do that. Interesting. Yeah. Now notice that he did mention free consent, and consent is very important because if an elf is forced to have sex outside of marriage or the intention to create a marriage, Mm -hmm. their soul literally leaves their body and astrally projects into the next life. Whoa, hold on. (laughs) So like That's like Elves are so pure that to maintain their purity they've been given this special power where they can just like go to the halls of Mandos. They just die? Yeah. Oh my god. They die so so like the moment you lay your filthy hands on them, their spirit just goes nope and pieces out. That's awful. So Tolkien writes among all these evils, there is no record of any among the elves that took another spouse by force, for this was wholly against their nature, and one so forced would have rejected bodily life and passed to Mandos. Now, you know what this sounds like? What it's like when like? you're a little kid on the playground, and you're having like a battle, imaginary battle with your friends, and you're like, I have a force field that's times infinity. Like, <laughs> I have a force field that's times infinity plus one. Well, so I, like, my well, soul could leave my body and go to Mandos. Yeah, so you're like, uh, people are like, hey, Tolkien, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and make unlawful sex with you. I was like, no, 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 no. My elves can fly out of their bodies. <laughs> yes, like, like, at all costs, he yeah. wanted to, like, prohibit people from... So I know last time I said that he was disrespectful of people's headcanons, but he's like, not He's really, really not. He's really not. So, it, as if you needed another reason why explicit verbal consent is really important, consider the scenario where you try to initiate sex with someone who's not really feeling it, and they die instantly. Yeah, it's, 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 like, kind of... That would make a big difference in society. Stakes, I would say. You'd be a murderer. You would be a murderer. Instead of a rapist. Which I would argue, like, rape is not appreciably better than... But anyway, so now here's some good news. Um, Assuming that it occurs within the bounds of marriage, elves did like sex. But here's the bad news. Once elves have kids, sex goes totally out of the window. Oh, you only do it once. Well, no, I mean, like, you can have multiple kids, but, like, you're not really into it after that. I guess, like, you're so worn down from childcare all the time. You're just, like, exhausted. And, you know, you're also both exhausted from the office and, you know, but... Yeah. uh, Tolkien writes... With the exercise of the power of generation, the desire soon ceases and the mind turns to other things. So you and I have talked about, like, if elves live thousands and thousands of years, how do they not get insanely overpopulated? Right, yeah. I guess this is That explains, yeah. Yeah, and once they pop out a kid or two, they're pretty much done with the whole sex thing. And since elves generally got married comparatively young, like between 50 and 100 years of age, that's a lot of long, long sexless years. But apparently they didn't care. Well, they're they're really like advanced, right? Like they're kind of like uh, you know, like those sci-fi races that are, we've evolved past carnal desires. We slowly go for pursuits of the mind. I guess you can think of them that way. They're not actually that much more advanced than me. Well, I guess they had a couple thousand years to. That's what I mean. They yeah. Had, like we want to develop our culture. Yeah. While you were off trying to get laid, we were honing the blade. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's pretty soon they're gonna move to the level in like Barbarella where they just take pills and then put their like yeah. hands on each other's hands yeah. and like start shaking for a little while and love love <laughs> just vibrate yep <laughs> um, speaking of kids here's something else that's comically catholic elves did not celebrate their birthdays but rather the days on which they were conceived because life begins at conception duh. that's super catholic duh obviously so your parents had to be like and this was the day we had sex yeah that is really uncomfortable like i don't want my parents to tell me that if they know i never want to hear it that's that's, that's, yeah, that's I weird. know when my due date was, so theoretically I could do the math, but I don't want to know. No, that's I weird, don't want to know. Gross. Now, what did elves find sexually arousing? Trees. Trees. <laughs> like leaf motifs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, according to Tolkien, they had a thing for hair. Oh, that's why their hair's so long. Yes. So he says, all the Eldar had beautiful hair and were especially attracted to hair of exceptional loveliness. And this is both men and women, Mm -hmm. which is why both genders have such long hair. Like, they were both attracted to beautiful hair. Such a Catholic thing. (laughs) You go to mass and it's all just a bunch of, like... You know what it is? It's like a Duggar family thing. It's like a Duggar... Isn't that the Duggars who are like, a woman's hair is her glory? Oh, it might be, actually. (laughs) Maybe that's what it was. I was making a joke where everyone at mass looks like Duck Dynasty, but maybe that's... It mass looks like Duck Dynasty. I would argue that while their hair is long on Duck Dynasty, it is not exceptionally lovely. Oh, no, no, it's not beautiful. Uh, so hair was kind of a kink for both dude and lady elves. And then it's also implied that beautiful voices are a turn-on, and that's pretty much all Tolkien ever says on the subject. Well, they do a lot of singing. They do do a lot of singing. By the way, one thing elves definitely didn't find sexy was incest. Well, why do they do it all the time? <laughs> they don't. It's, I it's feel a like huge that was in some of the stories you've talked about. It like happened cousins, like kissing twi- cousins. Well, yeah, but you'll notice it never turned out well. That's true. You know, like Maglin had a crush on his cousin, but they, it was never. It never came to anything because Good. that's like a massive taboo, Gross. even for his cousins. George Michael Bluth. George. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so okay, to conclude our bit on elves, here's my favorite thing I learned in this blog post. Okay. Did you know that Tolkien did include naughty words in Quenya? Mmm. Do uh, tell. This is from an archived word list from, like, all the way back in the 1920s, so it was really early in the development of the language. But still, uh, here are some elvish sex words for you. Nothing that nasty, I promise. Hook is the word for, as Tolkien called it, cunnis. Cunnis. I wish he would never use that word again. <laughs> I mean, he was doing it to try and be polite, but it just sounds heinous. It's the worst word. <laughs> it kind of... I would rather he just said, like... I mean, it's horrible, but it also reminds me of, like, white people baby names. Cunis! This is my son. This is my son, M- Mackenzica, and this is my daughter, McConnus. Ugh. <laughs> the worst. Now, Mona is the word for womb. Okay. Vie is the word for, as Tolkien called it, membrum. Again, Tolkien. <laughs> he couldn't actually say the word. My dude, come on. <laughs> he just always had to fall back on Latin. It's so ridiculous. Um, haka is the word for booty. Wow, that's that must be Latin, too. Uh, I, booty, yeah, I know. I can't remember what he actually called it. He definitely didn't say booty. He said, like, posterior or something uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. Uh, helda is the word for naked. Okay. The act of intercourse, it said, was, uh, the act of intercourse itself was called rather hilariously puta. Puta. <laughs> Which I really like. I mean, did he know about Spanish? <laughs> did he? I assume he knew Spanish existed. I don't know if he knew the slang term puta. Oh my goodness. And yere is a noun basically meaning horniness. Yere, yere does it. Yeah, yere does it. So try busting those out next time you're having a romantic interlude with an elf. My but gosh. 
Make sure you say them before he or she dies from having extramarriage. Yeah, right. <laughs> Be careful. Let's talk about dwarves. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Tolkien unfortunately said distressingly little about dwarves compared to how much he said about elves. Uh, much of the source for this bit is a blog called The Dwaro Scholar, and I know this blog is legit because it includes a neo translation of the blog post. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. It's kind of extra, is but... It, is it written in, like, moon runes and stuff? There's a translation that is. I read the English one because I don't read moon runes. Yeah, wow. I don't feel like standing under a waterfall on, like, you know, the first moon of autumn holding out a piece of parchment. <laughs> like, I just don't have that kind of time. So here's what we do now. Only one in three dwarves was female. Okay. I, I don't know how that works genetically, but that was what it was. And not all females chose to marry. Okay. In fact, very few dwarves were interested in getting hitched generally. They were more interested in, like, mining and industry. Yeah. But naturally, when they married, they married for life, and they would only ever have one spouse in a lifetime. So if your spouse dies, or you, well, you probably wouldn't get divorced. But anyway, if something happened, you wouldn't get remarried. Okay. Female dwarves were never forced to marry against their will. Um, one thing I will say about Tolkien is that, like, he took extreme measures to make sure none of his fictional characters could ever be forced. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's good. It's his fantastical world. Yes. I would love to live in a fantastical world where, like, force marriage and sex never happened. Yeah. That's, you know, not the worst thing. If female dwarves could not marry the dwarf of their choice, they would just say, screw it, and, like, not get married at all. Like, if it can't be my perfect dude, then, like, there's no point. It's, like, not worth it. That's really dwarf-like, though. I feel like they're really hard-headed. Once they get an idea in their head, they're like, oh, we have to do it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's that's my fair. idea, and I'm going to stick with it, and if that boy doesn't like me, then F him and Jeff him. F him and Jeff him. I think what's, like, what's, yeah, what's nice about it is... In real life, we encounter so many people who settle yeah. just because, like, they're really desperate to get married and they're scared that if it doesn't happen by 35 or whatever, it's not going to happen. Dwarves didn't do that. If it didn't happen by, you know, whatever age or their chosen partner got married to someone else, they're just like, all right, who cares? Whatever. Dwarves generally married late, so seldom before they were 90 or more. So get... elves tended to marry earlier than dwarves. I mean, dwarves got to get, they don't understand. You got to have that life experience. You exactly. Gotta, you got to cohabitate a little bit right. first. Right, right. You got to, like, know who you are. You got to learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. Right. You know? And if they don't love you back, fine. Fine. I, I love whatever. gems, whatever. I'm fine by myself. Yeah, I, I'm gem sexual from now on. I don't yeah. give a crap. The author of this blog post does a fair bit of speculation after laying out these facts. Like, they extrapolate from Jewish customs, which Tolkien apparently used as a model for Dwarvish custom, uh, culture. Yeah! I know, that was I made my a face. reaction. Yeah, I know Oy. exactly why you made that face. This race of people, they love gold and gems. And, and I'm modeling them after Jewish people. They're very greedy and they have big noses. I think we... Well, he didn't say the big noses thing. That was not... That's how they're always drawn, though. Yes, but that is not necessarily a Tolkien thing. I, 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 We think we've said before that something doesn't have to be intentionally bigoted to be problematic. This is another case of that. I, I feel like I need to point this out just in his defense, although obviously this is, like, not that great. When the Nazis were in power in Germany, his books were being translated. The Nazis sent him a letter asking him to confirm his Aryan ancestry before they translated his book. And he, like, ripped them a new one. Good. And he said something to the effect of, like, I regret, it is to my regret that I have to say that I share no um, blood with that um, noble people or something uh -huh, like that. Okay. So, like, I don't think he meant it in an anti-Semitic way, but it's like, ooh, you might want to rethink that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love dwarves. Dwarves are great. Yeah. I don't think it's, you know, 
if he had to be compared to anybody, doors are pretty cool. Yeah, but the treasure thing is unfortunate. Yeah. Unfortunate. But anyway, in the final analysis, I think it's safe to say that dwarves weren't terribly romantic, sexual, or marriageable creatures. I would I would agree. They're, that's why their populations grew very slowly, canonically, mm-hmm. because they just weren't that into it. Okay. Let's talk, finally, about hobbits. Okay. So, we've already talked about Tolkien's concept of how hobbits get hitched, right? So, like, they get engaged in secret, Mm -hmm. they stay secretly engaged for several years, and then they up and abscond one day with their betrothed, and they come back married a few weeks later. And I like that, because that's essentially what we did. Yeah, we're like hobbits, that's great. (laughs) Basically. My source for some of the rest of what I'm going to say about hobbits is this academic article published in 2001 in the journal Mythlore. Uh, and by the way, this is totally off topic, but the first page of this article quotes a truly amazing old review of Lord of the Rings from back in the day. And this is from a reviewer talking about how the symbolism in the fight between Sam and Shelob is grotesquely sexist. Oh. So let me read you this quote. I I'm interested. This. Yeah, tell me more. Okay. The scene, which has a narrative energy far greater than its function, oozes a distasteful, vengeful quality as the small but brave male figure really gets the enormous stenching bitch castrator. Whoa. Whoa. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. From now on, I think my my screen name for everything is going to be stenching bitch castrator. Whoa. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's one of the best phrases I've ever read in an academic article. Yeah, that's... (laughs) I understand how you could read the symbolism that way, but... (laughs) Steelope isn't castrating anyone. She came up with an awesome Riot Girl band name just now. Stenching Bitch Castrator. Seriously, that's going to be my band name. I love that. I I am a proud Stenching Bitch Castrator. Yeah. Uh, Anywho... The author of this Mifflore article notes that Hobbit romance and sexuality has often been characterized as childlike and innocent. Like, they get infantilized a lot. Just because they're little. Because they're little. They're kind of, they get treated by children by other species in Lord of the Rings, and they also get called things like the Hobbit children or the little people. Mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. that scene in the movie of Fellowship of the Ring where Boromir, like, ruffles Frodo's hair in this incredibly condescending way, considering Frodo is 50 years old. Yeah, he's older than you, Boromir. He's older than you, Boromir. Like, can you chill? However, the author of the Mithler article points out that Bilbo and Frodo being confirmed bachelors was so noteworthy to the hobbits precisely because the norm in the Shire was having big families, which meant the norm must have involved getting it on a lot. Okay. So, like, they weren't children. No, they weren't. Also, we do get hints of sexual desire, like mild ones, but we get them nevertheless. So, like, when Frodo meets Tom Bombadil's wife, Goldberry, Tolkien writes the following... Fair Lady Goldberry, said Frodo at last, feeling his heart moved with a joy he did not understand. He stood as he had at times stood enchanted by fair elven voices, but the spell that was now laid upon him was different. Less keen and lofty was the delight, but deeper and nearer to the mortal heart. Marvelous and not strange. Which I think is like fancy Tolkien speak for he thought she was kind of hot. Maybe. I think she's kind of like enchanting. She's like a forest spirit or something. Right? I, But I think the whole point of less keen and lofty, but deeper and Nero to the mortal heart is like it was more of a physical thing and not so okay. much a spiritual thing. Maybe read into it a little bit, but okay. I, you can see I, it. I, I you see can see it. I don't know I how I feel it. about it personally. Like I don't come down on one side or the other, but anyway, that's this guy's argument. If you squint hard enough, it's like yeah. Frodo thinks she's a babe. Later, when the fellowship is at Lothlorien, Frodo barely eats anything at dinner because he can't stop staring at Galadriel. Well, she's supposed to be bewitching. Like, I think it was, it's because she's, like, kind of scary. She's afraid. That's how I always yeah. read it. But I guess you could also read it that he is finds her very attractive. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. Um, the author of the article also talks about Sam's love for Rosie, 
but he compares it to Sam's feelings for Frodo in like a really weird way that I'm not sure I quite agree with. So he writes that, quote, the reason critics make all or nothing statements about relationships between men and women in Tolkien is because they do not distinguish between the spiritual bond between two males and the romantic love between a male and a female. Mm. Like, now... Wait a minute here. Yeah, I don't know about that. So, like, a male and female can definitely have a spiritual bond, and two males can definitely be romantic with each other, so I don't know why we're making that dichotomy. Yeah, I think this, hmm, their heart's in the right place, but I don't think they're thinking about it. Yeah, they're not thinking it through quite. So so this brings me to my final topic, and that is uh, homosexuality. All right. In Lord of the Rings, because I feel like we couldn't discuss this topic without addressing... Yeah. Um, some of the readings. Just in time for Pride Month. Just in time for... No, it's not. Pride Month was two months ago. Shh, just in time. Just in time. Just the same way our, our March Madness bracket was just in time. Our March Madness bracket. Yeah, it was in April. We always do things like a month to two months yeah. late. Anyway, I'm going to read you a quote, and I want you to guess uh, who this quote is talking about. Although I've probably already given it away just by context, but anyway... Then, as he had kept watch, he had noticed that at times a light seemed to be shining faintly within. But now the light was even clearer and stronger. His face was peaceful. The marks of fear and care had left it, but it looked old, old and beautiful, as if the chiseling of the shaping years was now revealed in many fine lines that had before been hidden, though the identity of the face was not changed. Not that he put it that way to himself. He shook his head as if finding words useless and murmured, I love him. He's like that, and sometimes it shines through somehow. But I love him, whether or no. Hmm. So who are we talking about in that passage? Is this like a riddle? It's it's not a riddle. So okay, it's a pr- so the faces has lines, but it doesn't change. It's gonna. It's like a. Mm. <laughs> I think you're overthinking it. It's someone talking about. There's gotta be like a statue, maybe, <laughs> no, really, or maybe like a clock, a face really, of a clock. You're really overthinking. It's 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 just one person saying another is very beautiful and they love him. It's Frodo and Sam. Yeah, of course it's Frodo yeah. and Sam. Yeah, so it's Sam talking about Frodo. Uh, what about this one? Frodo and Sam. Well, yeah, it's Frodo and Sam. But I just want I just want to read more quotes. Okay. <laughs> Sam, dear Sam, said Frodo, and he lay back in Sam's gentle arms, closing his eyes, like a child at rest when night fears are driven away by some loved voice or hand. Sam felt that he could sit like that in endless happiness. Okay. One more. All right. His love for Frodo rose above all other thoughts, and forgetting his peril, he cried aloud, I'm coming, Mr. Frodo! Okay, now out of context. I'm sorry. Uh, why are you laughing? That's a very sweet thing to say. He's chasing after him. Why, you're right. Why am I you, laughing? Can you explain why you're no, laughing? No, I, I, I can't explain why I'm laughing. But uh, did you know? <laughs> do you know how many quotes there were from Lord of the Rings on Goodreads, by the way, when I was looking for these? How many? Exactly 69. Nice. Nice. <laughs> okay. Now, okay. Now, Frodo and Sam. I mean, you could read that as romantic for sure. I, I think it's pretty clear why a lot of people do. You can just easily read it as like best buddy bromance, too. And like, yeah. and like, you know, that relying on each other that you get, like, you know, uh, when you're stranded in the wilderness together, crime across mortar, just the two of you guys, like, you can, you know, like, like, like a band of brothers kind of thing, you know? And I think that's how Tolkien in, intended it to be read. So whether or not this argument makes sense to you sort of depends on where you fall on the whole, like, death of the author thing. Mm-hmm. Like, does the author get to determine what everything means or does is that task allotted to the readers, 
right? Yeah. Like, are alternative interpretations allowed? Um, I can say that when I first read Lord of the Rings at age 13 and I read all the bits with Sam and Frodo, to me, it was like the single gayest thing I'd ever encountered in my life because Ryan and I grew up in an extremely conservative town yeah. where, like, even the kids at our high school who were quite clearly gay couldn't come out until after graduation because otherwise something very bad could happen to them. Yeah, that's So true. this was, like, almost liberating how like, openly gay this felt to me. Uh, I even wrote in my diary, like, how stunned I was that Tolkien put in, quote, a gay hobbit. Okay. So, like, in my mind when I read it, it was so clear to me that Sam was in love with Frodo. Yeah, I mean, that's like a modern interpretation of it, right? Right. I think, like, at, maybe in context, at the time, maybe it wouldn't seem quite as gay. But in the in the age we live in now, it might be a bit more, you know, like, acceptable to read it that way. Right. And, like, the way, the way we are used to reading about romance has changed and how, maybe how it did back in... Yeah. Back in Tolkien's day. I think Tolkien could, could, could write it this way back in the day because, like, heterosexuality was the presumed norm. Like, everything right. was so... It's, it's like the way that uh, a lot of women, either, even today, can say my girlfriend and people, they know people will assume it's a platonic friend because mm. of heteronormativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so it's like that. Oh, of course, nobody's going to read it as anything other than friendship because, like, heterosexuality is the default, right? Right, right. Uh, but and now, he, and he gives Sam a case of the not gays at the end, like, having to get married and have children. Well, yes. I think, like, some people's interpretation is that, like, Hobbiton was a conservative society, so that's the only way things could go. Real Brokeback Mountain situation. Sort of, sort of yeah. <laughs> Mr. Frodo, I wish I knew how to quit, quit you. <laughs> but, um, I, I want, also want to point out to people at home who are like, if, if you haven't read the book but have only seen the movies and you're like raising your eyebrow right now, I want to say that Peter Jackson toned things way down. Mm-hmm. Way, way down. Like, in the movies, Frodo and Sam only kiss once and I don't think they ever stroke each other's chests. And these are things that fre- happen very frequently in the book. Like, regardless of, of where you stand, when you read that Sam felt like he could hold Frodo forever in endless happiness, yeah. like, it's not that shocking that people have found Lord of the Rings so ripe for queer interpretations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I totally get why people would interpret that way and why it makes people happy to interpret that way, because who wouldn't aspire to that level of tenderness in a relationship? Like, if you're a young person in the LGBT community, you could do a lot worse than Frodo and Sam in terms of relationship role models. Yeah, definitely. So I actually think it's pretty cool that LGBT Lord of the Rings fans have that. You'll also get people who will just spit blood whenever they hear anyone even musing over this sort of stuff because Tolkien didn't intend it! Uh, and they'll actually, they'll, they'll always, without fail, point out that as a Catholic, Tolkien would have been disgusted by homosexuality. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but it might actually have been a little more complicated than that. Okay. Uh, for example, Tolkien had a former student that he was, like, pretty close to. They had, like, a mentor-mentee mm-hmm. relationship even after she graduated. Her name was Mary Renault, And he, her books, he said that he enjoyed greatly. And they often featured very sympathetic portrayals of gay and lesbian characters. Oh, wow. Okay. So, like, he obviously wasn't so disgusted that he couldn't enjoy literature featuring those themes. Right. Right? His view on homosexuality was probably something more like, uh, it's not something we discuss in polite society. Yeah. I think, you know? Like, I don't know that he had formulated much of a view beyond that. 
But that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I come down on the side of a writer called Heather Job. Uh, she wrote an article in which she says, there is no legitimate reason to get angry about someone finding a homosexual ship relationship in a favorite fictional world. Maybe poorly supported by evidence or may not be a healthy pairing, but these are casualties of millions of people from different walks of life interpreting the same fictional universe. So to argue that homosexuality cannot exist in the same world as orcs or elves or hobbits is unimaginative at best. It's like when people say brown people couldn't have existed in Tolkien because it's okay. based on Europe. Well, not only is that stupid because like orcs and oliphants can exist, but also like brown people were around in medieval Europe. Yeah. Just like gay people were around in medieval Europe. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. both those groups of people have always been around. So like, why are you getting your Jimmy so rustled? For real. So there you go. Live your life, interpret fictional works however you want and be imaginative. Just don't imagine elves having premarital sex without instantly dying, because that is canonically not a thing that can happen. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I have. Wow. Do you think anyone else is gay in Lord of the Rings? I mean, obviously Sam and Frodo are, like, uh, you know, the, the, the primary evidence. I but... think textually that's the one that jumps out to me. I've seen other people make cases for, like, Legolas and Gimli. Okay, yeah. yeah. A lot of people like to ship, like, Aragorn and Legolas. I don't know. I don't see that supported textually. I think they just think those two characters are hot. Yeah, I think that's all it is. Or they think, like, the dynamic's interesting or something. Um, oh, Merry and Pippin, that's another one. Mm. Although they are cousins, which uh, is a little dicey. But, um, all right. yeah. I think Sam and Frodo is definitely, like, the most obvious one in terms of queer readings. We've, you've covered sex today. Mm -hmm. Before we've covered drugs. Yes. Today I want to cover some, some rock and roll. So oh. if you've been around the galaxy, yes. you've definitely heard the song Mad About Me. Now, okay, not ring any bells? Here, take, take, take a listen. Yeah, you've heard that, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, I have, but why is it called Mad About Me? Well, we're going to get into that, because in one song, this band defined a generation. Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes. But how did these six boys from Clactor 7 and their fiery leader make it in the hard-knock world of jizz whaling? This sounds like the beginning of a Beatles documentary. Well, it's Night Behind the Music, the story of Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes. Oh, this is a VH1. So yeah, we're talking about figuring down the modal nodes, or in case you don't know them, the Cantina Band. Yeah, I knew them though. You did. Um, do you know what kind of species they are? Butt faces. They are butt faces. No, their species is called a biff. I think you told me that before, but it's, it's easier to remember butt faces. I think well, we can all agree. I think we got to define some things first. We got to define what biffs are, because that's what the whole band is. Okay. Uh, biffs are a peaceful, highly evolved craniopoid species native to the planet Clackdor Seven. Clackdor. Beautiful name. Yeah. For a beautiful species. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're fully adapted to highly civilized, te technologically based lifestyles. Um, they're from galaxy-wides and all levels of society, mostly as intellectuals, consultants, engineers, scientists, and musicians. So they're kind of like these high-minded, uh, butt-headed creatures. Cool. Yeah. High minds, butt-heads. You're going to find out here. They're kind of like a super species. They might not look it, but they're like really good. I like that though because I feel like they have a huge disadvantage in life by their faces looking like butts. Right. So like it's good that they have something to brag about too. Advantage one. Not only is their thumb opposable, but their pinky is too. It's opposable? What a does that mean? Fully opposable pinky. It moves like your thumb. It can move in every direction. So it can so you can touch 
your pinky to the rest of your fingertips like, yes. directly. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, so they have super good dexterity. They could also had a really good sense of hearing, and they could sense the tonal quality of sound as well as other races sensed colors. So they had, like, perfect pitch, essentially, yeah. is what you're yeah. saying. Their eyes, extremely good. They could focus up to 0. 0.07 on the Gandalf scale. <laughs> Sorry, what is that? It's a scale of measurement. It's a scale. I love how like you just have to say the something something scale, and that's like all you need to know. Point zero seven on the Gandalf scale. I Come assume on. that's out of out of point zero seven zero zero. And they could see microscopic details of nearby objects. Whoa! But on the on the downside, they did make them extremely nearsighted, so they had a hard time seeing things farther away. But they had extremely high detail vision. I have to say, like when they stayed at motels yeah it must have been a very disgusting oh, experience gross, for them right? if they could see on a microscopic level they gotta ew, they don't even need a black light ew, yucky an interesting side effect of their incredible senses is the effect of sonic grenades or screamers on them so this weapon called a sonic grenade sort of sounds like it beams out a big blue hedgehog that runs you over <laughs> um, you're too slow chili dogs uh but actually no it's like a big sound bomb basically it goes off and like it shatters eardrums and stuff if he's on a bith, it was described as causing their heads to explode. So they're kind of like super sensitive to noises. Um, Whoa. If you want to kill a band of biths, just throw a sound. Why would you? I mean, like, why? Because they're, <laughs> their band sucks or yeah, something. <laughs> I guess. Another big advantage. Bith had evolved past the need for sleep. What? So instead, they'd slip into a light meditation state for about four hours, and that gave them enough energy to last a whole day. God, they must have gotten so much done. Honestly. Why weren't they all just working in business? Well, they were. They were. They were, like, like, super high-advanced people. They were also entirely aware of their surroundings while they're in that trance. Whoa. So we can sneak up on them. That is really amazing. Is that really useful? Yeah. I just feel like if you have that, like, that's got to be one of the greatest superpowers there is in Honestly. terms of like getting ahead in life. If I didn't need to, if I didn't need to sleep, I would be like a Fortune 500 CEO right now. Here's a little bit of a, a downside. Uh, kind of ties in what you talked about today. Abyss reproductive organs atrophied over time. No, as the portions of the brain governing such impulses. Whoa! So as such, Bith were unable to reproduce naturally, instead relying on artificial conception and gestation. Well, even before, what if they did it, what if they had kids fairly young? They could do that, but like... Okay, but but after but a certain age, it's like, not gonna happen. This article had a big section about this thing called the computer mating service. I didn't feel like reading uh, it, so I skipped it. I don't wanna know. I think the idea is like, you bring your egg and your, your sperms, and they match you up with somebody, and... And they just make it, like... Yeah, like, whoever would make the best bith, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah, but, thanks for skipping that part. But most importantly, here's a quote... Their mouth folds pucker into a splendid embouchure for wind instruments. Oh, for wind is Jesus. Don't do that to me right after you talk about the sex thing. Well, this, combined with their sense for sound, led them to invent jizz. <laughs> okay, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just silly today, I guess. What's so funny about jizz? You know jizz? Their, their puckered mouths led them to invent jizz. You know, that upbeat swinging genre of music? Yeah. Performed by Jizz Whalers. I mean, if, if, if George Lucas was going to be lazy enough to just switch out one of the letters in jazz, why did he have to switch it out for you know, Jizz. You know, Jizz. You know, for kids. It's truly one of the most versatile and widespread musical art forms. Uh, lots of different versions of it. There's Rooney and Blues, Gliz, not to be confused with Glitz, Tattoonian Blues, or the Dirty Variety developed by Smooth Banjack's Wab and the Scundreds. <laughs> Also, the more so romantic. Jizz and then there's there's dirty jizz. It's also the more romantic form of jizz called abade. Romantic 
romantic jizz. Why is that funny? You got dirty jizz, you got romantic jizz. I mean, like any kind of jizz you could possibly want is at your fingertips. Yeah. All the jizz you'd ever want. And the most jizz you'd probably want is from Figger and Dan and the modal nodes. I mean, if you gotta take some jizz, you might as well be from them. Why are you saying it like that? It's so weird. So let's talk about the band. Let's talk about the band Figger and Dan and the modal nodes. As you can probably guess, their leader was a guy called Figger and Dan. Yeah. And his instrument was the clue horn. He's a leader of the band. Known for his hot temper. Oh! Yeah, his nickname was Fiery Figrin, and he was highly critical of the band, and every performance they ever did, even if they missed one note, he'd criticize Oh, he's kind of a control freak. A little bit. This guy needs to chill. He also owned almost all the band members' instruments and equipment, and most of them he won in games of sabak, because he was a compulsive gambler. Whoa! I'm not sure if he's such a good guy. However... He's an incredible musician. We mentioned before, we talked about Most Isley Madness. We discussed Malak, remember? The uh, Deveronian guy? Yes. The devil man from yes. the cantina? Yes, He called him possibly the greatest cluist in the entire galaxy. Well, I mean, if the literal Satan said it, then... Yeah. And the same goes among jizz aficionados. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Would you consider yourself a jizz aficionado? Yeah. Okay. I, I myself would not, but maybe I can get there someday. Anyway, the common saying among jizz aficionados, a jizz band without a bith has its work cut out for them. A jizz band without a clue horn should find a new gig. Yeah, no jizz without clue horns. No way. So here's, uh, here's a sample of Figrin Dan wailing on that clue horn. Jizz wailing. Jizz wailing. Is that only one clue horn? Because it sounds yeah. like two. Yeah, it's one. Holy cow. Yeah. How, how does it do that? How does it make a sound like it's harmonizing with itself? It's cool. It's a sci-fi Is instrument. it because they have a, you know, a great puckered embouchure or whatever? Yeah, that splendidly puckered embouchure, <laughs> Splendidly yes. puckered embouchure. Coming up next. Yes. Uh, Doik Nats. This is a guy's name or an instrument name? Doik Nats on the fizz. The fizz. That's so you can see he's a fizz, he's a fizz jizz whaler. He's a fizz whaler. Fizzy jizz whaler. He has three Zs in fizz. He's the most level-headed member of the band. He actually was the only one who owned his own instrument, his fizz which he took with him across six different systems on tour without it getting broken. He's very proud of it. Uh, and he kind of became the impromptu band leader when Figurin was high on Glitter Stim. Okay, so he kind of had to, like, you know, take... What, what band would you compare that to? Like, the the, the, the head man gets, like, so into drugs at the other... Yeah. Part. It's like when, when... Was it, like, Paul McCartney had to do Magical Mystery Tour because yeah. John Lennon was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm having all kinds of vision. <laughs> um, so here's a sample of the fizz. Cool. Yeah. It's like a jazzier version of the oboe or something. Yeah, Doik Nats is actually the one I got a lot of this information from because there's a story told from his perspective in Tales from Most Isley Cantina. Oh, it's not told from... Uh, from Figurin? From no, Figurin no, 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 no. Well, from Doik. he's a jerk, that's why. Doik is the most level-headed. He can handle this All stuff. Right. Next up, we got Ichabel Gaunt on the Double Jossamer. Uh, his favorite song to play was Tears of Aquana because of its long Double Jossamer solo. And it turned out a gang from Mos Eisley took it on as their unofficial anthem. So he got a lot of popularity from them. Cool. So here's the uh, double Jossamer. Whoa! So it's like if you took a dulcimer and then you also had a fiddle? Yes. And you could play them both at once? Yep. Whoa! Coming in next, we got Nalan Chiel on the band fill. Nalan Chiel. He liked to travel, but part of him always wanted to return to the pink bubbling swamps of his homeworld, Clackdoor 7. like a calypso like a steel drum but you blow into it to make the noises it's kind of interesting whoa yeah 
Next up, we got Tedden DeHai on the fanfar. Good old Teddy. Prior to taking up the fanfar, he was employed as a scout for the Imperial Navy. Ooh. But he decided to become a musician instead. Yeah, man, follow your bliss. He would often argue with Ichabel about the size of their fanfar cases. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a fanfar waving contest. Fanfar. Here's a fanfar for you. I feel like a lot of these instruments, they just took two regular instruments and played them at the same time and called it one instrument. Almost entirely. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we got Tech Moore on the Omnibox. The Omnibox. Omnibox. I like that name. He was known for a glazed look in his eyes since he mostly performed inebriated. Okay. He harbored a hatred toward fiery figurine after losing his Omnibox in a hand of sabak. <gasps> He lost it to Figurin. Yes. So essentially it was like Figurin what, what made them rent the instruments to play them in the band. Exactly. So it's like the company store mm-hmm. or something. Like, God, what a dick. He's a real piece of crap. <laughs> also, I'm going to cover uh, Sunil Eid, who has the gas and string drum. He's kind of like the forgotten member of the band. He's barely even visible in the he's movie. Like, he's like Ringo. For years, we weren't even sure who he was, if he was actually a character or just like an extra guy or what. He's just a spare dude. So here's them adding in the Omnibox and the drums. Cool. Lastly, we got Liren Karn on the backup clue horn. He's only kind of a part-time member of the band. He well, he's just a, backup clue horn. He worked as a mercenary most of the time. Cool. But you put all those guys together. You put together Figrin and Doik and Ichabel and Nalan and Teddy and Tech and Sunil and Liren, and you got this. Well, that's like kickier than it is. Isn't it a little kickier? That's pretty kicky. Yeah. You can really hear that, that steel drum. Yeah, you can really hear that band fill back there, can't you? So these seven boys, how did they get to where they are today? Well, if you remember Malik the Deveronian story from Mos Eisley Madness, some of this might sound familiar. The Mortal Notes found themselves in Mos Eisley under a contract with Jabba the Hutt. Oh, God. They routinely played gigs at his palace and at his luxury townhouse, but the band, they wanted out. They wanted freedom. They wanted to play at his dad's for-profit prison. They did. They wanted to, <laughs> they wanted to see other parts of the galaxy. They were tired of being tied down on Tatooine. They were afraid that it was only a matter of time before Jabba tossed one of them to the Rancor. That's when Opportunity knocked. Oh. Lady Valerian, the Whippet crime boss and rival of Jabba the Hutt, was getting married to Whippet named Dewop. Dewop. And she wanted to scoop out the nodes from under Jabba's contract to play her wedding. Despite Figurin's notion that playing the weddings would cheapen their art. Oh, shut up, Figurin. For 3,000 credits and a chance to get out of their contract, the nodes couldn't say no. Plus, like, think how much glitter stim he can buy from Honestly, them. right? All seemed well and good for the modal nodes as they hit out at Lady Valerian's casino, but then disaster struck. Figrin took the band's retainer of 3,000 credits and lost it entirely at the Sabak table. Oh my god, I seriously want to take his lunch money. I'm so mad at this guy. The band grew gravely concerned. Thanks to Figrin's gambling, their chances of getting off Tatooine alive were quickly dwindling. The day of the wedding, despite squabbles over money and Figrin's fiery attitude, the band put out a wild performance, performing their hits Tears of Aquana and Wormcase for an excited crowd of scum and villainy. However, their set was cut short when some of Jabba's bounty hunters showed up to crash the party. (gasps) He found about Lady Valerian swiping of his band and wanted revenge. To make matters worse, a squadron of Imperial stormtroopers arrived on a raid. A massive firefight ensued, and the nodes feared for their lives. Lord. Yes. Luckily... Their savior arrived, a human named Warher, a bartender from up the street who helped them escape from the chaos. Oh! Remember this part of the story? Yeah, 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 yeah. He led them to where he worked and offered the chance for them to play a few gigs at that cantina. With no other options, the mortal knows agreed. I mean, why can't Jabba also have sent his guys into that cantina? Because it's a little more low profile. Okay. So right. he just, like, didn't know they were there. He was more... He wasn't really going to kill the band. He was trying to kill Lady Valerian's party. Because uh, he was just trying to, like, crash Get back in. at her. Okay, just trying to ruin her party, Well, trying to kill the band. Just get back at her. Gotcha. 
but they're pretty popular at the cantina. It was kind of a kind of a dive bar, but you know they made their way, uh, especially with Malloc, their biggest fan. People love their music. In fact, even the night bartender Akmina was known to sing along with them during her shift. Just one more drop, friend, before we stop. What I love about that is that B. Arthur, like, had no idea what she was doing. She's just like, well, what am I doing right now? Whatever, it's a paycheck. Hey, that's not B. Arthur, that's Ekmina, the night bartender. Okay, Come on. you're right. They look shockingly similar, but totally different people. Totally different people. Shortly after their ill-fated wedding, Figure and Dan wagered the band's instruments and equipment on a hand to Sabak. And surprise, surprise, he lost the bet. Uh, wait, he, why did he keep gambling when he clearly was, like, the worst at gambling? Well, the modal nodes forced him to get their equipment back out of his own pocket. Of course. And he eventually succeeded. The modal nodes were finally able to leave Tatooine. They wanted to play the Intergalactic Circuit, receiving lukewarm reviews. Lukewarm reviews? <laughs> That's no end to the story. Well, there's more to the story. In later years, they performed at many places. They had a five-month stint Bar at... Bar mitzvahs. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, Queen's Quintineers and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. They had a five-month stint at Shanko's Hive, which ended in a bad gambling situation where their debt forced them to escape by stowing away in a ship. Oh. Thanks, Figrin. Uh, later on, the floating casinos on dock... And it was there that the band got tired of Figrin's gambling habit, and they left him behind. They, Good! They dumped him. Good! They went to Bespin. Dumped that guy. In 24 ABY, they went to Bespin, and they became the main band at the Sky Center Galleria Amusement Park in Cloud City. Oh, so they played in an amusement park? Yeah. Wait, is this, a, is this that amusement park that, like, Han insisted no, on not, going to? No, it's not Hologram Fun World. <laughs> oh, no! It's very similar, though. Sky Center Galleria. I, I hoped it would be. However, due to the presence of Black Sun's criminal network... On Bespin, the band had to leave early for their own safety, and then went back to hiding on their homeworld on Clactor Seven. So where are they now? No one where knows for sure. Where are they now? Most fans assume they settled down on their home planet, leaving the world of jizz whaling behind them to take up more stable positions in Bith society. But what a fiery figure! The one they left behind. The hot-headed musical genius led the modal nodes to stardom. What happened to him? Why did he flame out? We may never know. <laughs> it was all the drugs. Well, at the end of the day, perhaps he was just mad about himself. <laughs> so I was behind the music on figuring down on the modal nodes. That was awesome. I got a, uh, just a brief behind the scenes bit. The modal nodes are not credited in the credits of Star Wars. Okay. Uh, but they were all played by Lucasfilm special effects artists. Oh, so really? So for example, figuring Dan himself, played by Rick Baker. Wait, I know that name. He's the guy who did the makeup for American Werewolf in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Men in Black, Harry and the Hendersons, and Captain EO. Whoa, sweet! He Captain all, EO, that's like... He did all the prosthetics that's... and stuff, yeah. Sweet! So he's one of the transformation in American Werewolf in London. Oh my god, that is like one of the coolest transformations in any movie ever. And he's figuring Dan. All right. Doik, our second in command, he's Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett. Now, he is known for stop motion in the original trilogy. He did all the AT-ATs, the Rancor. Oh, nice. But later on, he went to do Robocop and then oh. ju- and then Jurassic Park. That's awesome. These people have, like, insane resumes. Yeah. Ikebell and Liren are both played by the same guy, Doug Beswick, in mm-hmm. different shots. Uh, and he's actually the one who designed the Biths uniforms and their heads and their costumes. Wow, cool. Yeah. Well, I hope he made it so that it was easy for him to wear. Just a few examples of, oh, wow. the, of the uncredited arty people who were the no mortal nodes. It really was like such a small fry sort of production, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like everybody was just like, oh God, we need somebody to play this band. I just get the special effects guys and makeup, whatever. Yeah, yeah, let's put Rick Baker in a big butthead. Yeah. So yeah, we really we really have had sex, drugs, and rock and roll this episode. We have. But I would argue 
Well, I was going to say pretty PG, but we said jizz like 97 times. That's so. PG. It's a, it's a musical form. Yes, yeah, I know. It's a genre. You're right. I'm why, sorry. Joanne, why, why are you being weird? I don't know. I'm just, sorry. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Um. So if you liked what you heard, or if you didn't, but for some reason you want to support us anyway, you can see us online at our website, www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. I made it with Squarespace, but they're not sponsoring us. But if they did, we'd plug them here. We would, but we're not going to because. So don't not. use Squarespace. Don't don't you don't necessarily have to. We are not necessarily recommending. No, Squarespace, don't use it. Don't, even though we did. Don't use. Don't it. use it. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You can just search what's lightsabersprecious.com. I guarantee will come up. You can also electronic mail us. Shoot us a, shoot us a mail electronically by that that those bits and bites of the electronic pony express yeah www tubes oh wait it's not www that's not how emails work it's what's lightsabers precious at gmail.com you can rate us up on apple Podcasts. we only have seven ratings why are you saying that don't say that i'm just saying i'm unsatisfied thank you to those seven of you who did don't say the exact it makes us look like losers we have less than eight reviews things on apple like i never rate things on apple podcast either because it's like kind of a pain and you can listen to stuff without doing it so like what's the point well the point is that it makes it easier for people to find us and we would really appreciate it and uh we would love you till our dying day yes please do that i haven't talked about it in a couple weeks but you tell us you rate us up we'll shout you out on the podcast do something cool for you so just do it just do it or tell a friend and tell me about it Tell me, <laughs> but I need a receipt. I need I need a picture of you and your friend holding the day's newspaper. No, we need you to your, actually with, like record the phone conversation. I need, uh, yeah, I need you guys to. I need a full video from multiple angles proving that it's not fake. I need again the day's ca- the, the the morning's calendar in your hand while you're telling your friend. I need vi- visual of your friend listening to the podcast, laughing at it for the entire hour or hour plus that we record for and then telling you back i loved it it was great so please is that so much to ask for that's not that bad no okay it's not not that bad all right well thanks guys uh until next week we'll see you hobwalks later e bits bye